Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Somm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. This week we're doing a follow-up episode on episode number 60, where we talked about a hit in the NFL on, uh, he's a wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, his name is Jory Nelson, and he actually broke his ribs on this play, and a defender on the New York Giants named Leon Hall is the one who kind of inflicted this injury upon him. And, you know, originally I thought it was a dirty hit, and I, you know, did my last episode on it, just kind of talking about the culture of toughness in sports, and, you know, Leon Hall's this veteran guy, and it's kind of all he knows, and I talked about a Malcolm Gladwell article, so I would definitely recommend going back and reading or listening to that episode at headsandtails.org backslash podcast backslash 60 to kind of get the, the gist of, you know, what, what my arguments were. This episode is going to discuss some of the feedback that I got from that episode um, from my friends and other listeners, um, you know, anyone from, you know, my high school teammates to co-captains of mine to current high school coaches, former youth coaches, football dads, uh, division one football equipment manager, and even a a beat writer for the New York Giants. So it's really a pretty well-rounded place where you know, people provided their opinions on, on the hits. Um, but before we get too far, I just want to, if this is your first time to the podcast, make sure you go back and listen to some of our previous episodes of Perseverance in Sports. And we talk about concussions. We have a lot of experts in the field of sports, health, and safety that come on and, and, and share their knowledge. So definitely go back and, and check out some of those other episodes. If you're listening to this podcast, I also recommend that you go over to headsandtails.org backslash podcast backslash 61 to check out the show notes on this episode because I screenshotted a lot of the comments from uh, my Facebook page about this, about the episode number 60. And I also include a lot of videos and links and stuff that that could definitely be beneficial to um, the arguments that that I'm trying to bring up. The question that came up most often uh, in the comments on episode 60 was definitely um, what the definition of a dirty hit really is. And in most people's minds, they feel that a dirty hit is when, you know, the player had the intention of injuring his opponent when he was making a hit. But unfortunately, at the point of contact um, during these hits, you can't go into the mind of you know, these athletes to see like what they were actually thinking at the moment, you know, maybe some of them are trying to injure, maybe, you know, in most cases they aren't, but in that way, we'll, we'll never actually know, you know, if we use that as our definition. So from this point forward, I think a more appropriate definition to use in terms of hits that we're trying to eliminate from the game of football to make it safer would be hits that are described as unnecessary or both unnecessary and avoidable. And I also want to make the distinction that these hits are on defenseless players because defenseless players, um, by definition in the NFL rulebook, are players that are in a defenseless posture, which includes a player in the act or just after throwing a pass, a receiver attempting to catch a pass who has not yet had time to clearly become a runner, if the player is capable of avoiding or warding off the impending contact of an opponent he's no longer a defenseless player so that's what the NFL views as a defenseless player and I completely agree with that because you know if you have a you know 200 
230, 250-pound guy barreling down on you, and you're trying to tackle him, but he, like, sees he sees you and he can make a move on you, you know, by, you got to do whatever you can to get that guy down. But it's, it's much different when the, the offensive player or the receiver or the ball carrier doesn't actually see you coming. That's a, that's a whole different story. Cause I, I personally feel that you have the time to kind of line up and, and target where you're going to place your head or, or place your body, you know, to, to make that, to make that tackle. Now, the NFL already has a, a rule against unnecessary roughness um, in the NFL rulebook, and I actually included the NFL rulebook in the show notes for this episode just as, as for one reminder. Um, go over to headsandtails.org backslash podcast backslash 61 to find all the, the show notes for this episode and, and the links. Um, but in the player conduct section in, uh, of this NFL rulebook, Article 6 uh, for unnecessary roughness um, states that using any part of a player's helmet or face mask to butt, spear, or ram an opponent violently or unnecessarily would be deemed unnecessary roughness. So in this you know, definition, I believe that the hit on uh, Jordy Nelson by Leon Hall would fit into this category um, because it doesn't specifically say that you know it's going into... It, it has to be a helmet-to-helmet hit. you know, And he did definitely you know, drive his face mask or ram his face mask into Jordan Nelson's ribs. And as someone who played the game for 10 years and spent at least four years working in the game, you know, for college and professional football teams, I wholeheartedly believe that defenders can just as easily put their heads to the side of a defenseless receiver um, as they can ramming their face mask into their, into their body. Um, and this is where the avoidable part of my definition comes into play because I, I feel that the hit on Jordy was easily avoidable because he was not capable of warding you know off any impending contact right so you know players shouldn't be able to get away with you know dangerous hits just because they didn't shoot you know just because they chose not to go helmet to helmet you know when it comes to defensive receivers I feel like there's always a choice and there's always going to be you know a strike zone per se you know that a defender can you know, target when they're when they're going into making a tackle. So, although I think it was wrong of me to insinuate that Leon Hall had, you know, bad intentions or intentions to injure Jordy Nelson on that hit, I still do believe that the hit itself was unnecessary and avoidable. And our our next topic of discussion is going to be the fear factor involved with, um, you know, receivers coming across the middle or you know, you know big hits by by defensive backs on you know receivers going up for balls and trying to disrupt the pass and and everything like that because I do feel like that's definitely an important part of the game and I also feel like it's a part of the game that teaches a lot of good lessons because you know if you ever heard of you know a sports commentator saying that you know the guy got alligator arms it's, you know it's because the, when the receiver is going up for the ball he's thinking about the defender in the back of his head who's about to you know lay a lick on him and and really you know drive him into the ground you know instead of trying to catch the ball he's more worried about protecting himself than he is about catching the ball and you know that fear is definitely a part of the game and and it's it's something that you know definitely plays into the advantage of of the of the defenders but i guess my argument with with this you know side of or this point you know uh, of you know imposing fear on on the receiver is that I feel like you could still do that and not use your head or not lead with your head or not you know make these you know unnecessary and avoidable hits 
on defenseless receivers. And, you know, as far as, like, the learning lessons that I feel like are important that I got from football and, you know, relate to this situation are, I, I truly believe that if you're comfortable, you're not growing. And it's definitely not a comfortable feeling when you're, you know, crossing over the middle and your quarterback happens to throw the ball high and you're you're jumping up and with your ribs exposed and you know that, that someone's, you know, sitting there on the other side waiting for you to come down or not. And, you know, same, but same thing goes when you're standing in front of 100 people, you know, trying to say a speech or give a presentation. You know, that's that's not comfortable either. And I think that, you know, football gives you opportunities to to really – embrace situations of of discomfort and I think that that pays off you know down the road so you know like I said I'm not you know I don't I don't want to see football go anywhere the whole reason why I'm bringing up this topic is because I love football and you know when I think back on some of the best memories I've ever had in my life you know it goes back to you know playing football with my buddies growing up Um, and I want every kid to have that opportunity you know I don't want to see the game you know, go away because, you know, parents or moms aren't letting their kids play football anymore. I'm trying to change the game for the better, and I feel like we could still do that without changing, you know, the essence of the game. Which brings me to my next topic of discussion, which is tackling technique. And, and this is something that the NFL and USA football has, you know, harped on, you know, quite a bit to try to make the game safer, you know, and make sure that coaches are teaching kids the proper tackling techniques and, and stuff like that. And one of my former um, youth coaches, and, and he's a current high school coach right now, commented on, you know, commented about this part of, you know, the, the Joy Neslin hit, because obviously we're going to critique his tackling form. And when you do that, you know, the way he tackled them really – you know, doesn't correlate to anything that you're really ever taught, you know, because in football, you're always taught to either, you know, bite the ball or, you know, even when I was playing, we were told to get our heads across. And, you know, now uh, Lou, um, my coach, he commented that that's actually, they're kind of straying away from that too, because then that kind of gets your head involved in the tackle. And when I say get your head across, it's if I can describe the situation of when this would happen. So it's not like a head head on tackle where like a linebacker's, you know, filling a gap and, and coming one on one with a running back in the hole. It's more of a situation where, you know, uh, a receiver catches the ball in the flat and starts running up field and the defender is making a perpendicular tackle on that individual. And instead of, you know, sticking your head, you know, to the back of the receiver and just kind of wrapping them up and spinning them down, you know, getting your head across means to put your head like in his, in front of his stomach. So you're kind of like using your head as a limb, um, an an extra limb. So you're not only wrapping him up with your, your arms and driving with your legs, but you're also putting your head in front of him to kind of stop his, his forward motion. And to be honest, you know, I know from experience that that method of tackling is, probably the most effective way to avoid the receiver breaking the tackle uh, ultimately. But at the same time, I can remember times where I would make those kinds of tackles and I'd be shaking the cobwebs out after afterwards because, you know, my, my bell was quote unquote rung. So, you know, in terms of brain health, it's probably not the, the, the smartest thing to do. So, it, but it's nice to see that, you know, that that technique isn't necessarily being taught anymore. But when you go back to the, the, Leon Hall hit, he went, you know, face mask or, you know, the 
you know, crown, I don't know, crown of his helmet or, you know, the really the forehead of his helmet right into Jordan Nelson's ribs. And really you never teach that ever. You're always supposed to, you know, keep, keep, keep your head up and keep, see what you hit. And I feel like in that instance, you know, you're just, you're setting yourself up to, to get hurt and you're obviously going to hurt someone else, which is you could, you could ask Jordan Nelson how his, his ribs are feeling after that one. But at least it's nice to see that there's a discussion of a, a risk-benefit, you know, kind of idea going around at least the high school game. And when I think back to my career, I was definitely taught the the safest tackling techniques for the time period. Um, but you know, during my days, you know, post-career, I kind of witnessed some techniques that I thought were kind of questionable in terms of, you know, that risk-benefit idea. You know, when I was I worked with a lot of running backs, you know, when I was working for college teams and, and pro teams. And one of the techniques that they teach to pick up blitzing linebackers is to really use your forehead or your face mask as a as the point of contact to pick up those blitzing linebackers. And I can remember, you know, cringing at some of these hits that were in practice, um, not even the games that were, were – just insane. I was like, there's no way that is like good for your head. And they'd be doing it like multiple times. And I just think that that's one of those things that, you know, the risk benefit, is it the most effective way to, you know, pick up the blitzing linebacker? I'm assuming so, but you know, at what cost? And I think that's, that's a question that, that we need to ask ourselves when we're teaching these kind of techniques to, you know, both youth, high school, and, and professional athletes. And I feel like a lot of this, the technique comes from a, a trickle down from the NFL. So, you know, you know, these kids that play football watch the NFL guys on every Sunday, and then they try to mimic what they're doing in practice and in the games. And, and Coach Vanorski provided some examples of what he thought were dirty hits from back in the day. And one of the videos that he, he posted was of a guy named Chuck Cecil, who was a defensive back for the Green Bay Packers. And this guy was notorious for... Um, you know, putting big hits on guys. And in the video, there was, you know, two of his hits on two consecutive plays. And on the first one, it was a hit that he, he comes, you know, charging down from the, the safety position and just lays out the running back. Um, but he also leads with his head. But, you know, it's not – I don't think it was a dirty hit. I think it was an uneducated hit because, you know, he was just putting himself at risk by leading with his head. Um, but in terms of how the rules are laid out today – I believe that it was a, a clean hit because he was not a defenseless receiver. However, on the next play, he, he lays out a, what I would consider a defenseless receiver. And after both plays, he was really kind of like he was shaking up himself. And the ironic thing is that, you know, Chuck Cecil had to end his career due to concussion issues. So it's really like, you know, if you want to play like that, you're not going to last too long. And I, I've said it before, and I've said it about myself. You know that that's kind of how I played. I wanted to run everyone over, and you know, because I thought that was like the tough and macho thing to do. Which, you know, looking back, I, it's just stupid in my opinion. You know, and I, I think I missed out on my opportunity to play college football because I decided to play like that. You know, but where is the line really drawn? You know, on those two hits that Coach Fanorski provided us you know one on the running back and the other one on the defensive receiver you know where is the line drawn essentially they're you know two of this the same hits you're both leading with your head they're both dangerous they're both putting people at risk um but at the end of the day you know it's football you know and i understand that without hitting football wouldn't be football you know nor is it my goal to you know is it 
nor is it my goal by pointing out, you know, this Jordan Nelson Leon Hall hit, you know, to try to get rid of hitting in football. But in terms of the referees, I feel like there's a very fine line to distinguish between what's a penalty and what's just, you know, inherent risk of playing the game. And to me, the rules seem pretty defined when looking at what was written in the NFL rule book, you know, but the enforcement of these rules seems to kind of be hit or miss, you know, no pun intended. But we need, I, I feel like that if we had referees in the booth, like we have, you know, athletic trainers in the booth that are chose, supposed to diagnose and, or pull players out for potential concussions, uh, I think that that might be a, a better way to get more consistent calling of penalties. And I don't know what that's going to do to, you know, the time of play. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, they have access to the slow motion and, you know, they don't have to worry about their, you know, instincts or go on their instincts to make these calls. And I think, you know, by kids seeing the plays on TV and seeing them in slow motion and reviewed and having the commentators kind of go over like, all right, this is why this is a penalty. You know, he could have seriously injured himself by putting his head down into Jordan Nelson's ribs um, and, and take that approach. I feel like that's how you you might save the game and make the game safer, you know, because kids aren't, aren't going to go out there and try to do the, do the same thing, regardless of what your intention is, you know, on the hit. And my buddy, James Cratch, who I grew up with and played football with, and he's now the NewJersey.com beat writer for the New York Giants. And he put his opinion in on this, uh, this post. And, you know, he knows Leon Hall personally. He sees him, you know, day in and day out. And he said that he didn't believe that, you know, he injured Jordy Nelson on purpose. And, you know, I really have to take his word for that because, like I said before, we never know, you know, what their intentions are out there. We we'll never will know, but, you know, we can hope that, you know, th- this is both of their livelihood and both of the way that, the ways that they put food on the table for their families. So you would hope that no one in the NFL would really try to hurt any any other player, regardless of team or you know, rivalry or any, anything like that. Uh, another buddy of mine who uh, I played with as a co-captain with, uh, his name's Keith Ramirez, he, he kind of brought up the idea that I mentioned in, in episode 60 about, you know, the idea of dogfighting and, and how, um, you know, this is all that Leon Hall knew. You know, he's a 10-year veteran in the NFL you know, he get, he came into the league, you know, around 2007 when, you know, we just started talking about concussions and before, you know, this player safety evolution really started, you know, really even started. So, you know, it, it brings me back to the Malcolm Gladwell thing. I think there was a pretty strong connection there. And if you didn't get a chance to read that, you don't know what I'm talking about with the Malcolm Gladwell, how different is um, football and dogfighting? I'll definitely go back to episode number 60 and, and check out the show notes for that episode and read read that article. That's a definitely a, a, a thought-provoking article, and I think there's definitely parallels to dogfighting and, and football. Um, but anyway, I also started thinking, you know, when, when we talk about you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you know, you, you kind of can. You know, like if you were going to train a dog – you know, if if they took a shit in the living room, you would try to catch them in the act. You pick their little ass up. You bring them outside. You you make sure that they finish their business out there, and then you reward them. You know when when they do the right thing. So you know how different is you know throwing a flag 
pushing the defense back 15 yards and rewarding them by not taking money out of their paycheck when they make hits with their shoulder. You know, I, I don't see, you know, that much of a difference, but you, you need to actually make the calls in order to do that on the field. And like I said before, you know, it, the kids are watching this. Kids see what these guys are doing. You know, they made it to the, the highest level of, you know, of football, and it's every kid's dream to play in the NFL. So they want to emulate their favorite players. And one of my other former teammates commented on the episode, and he kind of chalked up the Jordan Nelson injury to, you know, just the inherent risk of playing football. And that kind of reminded me of my capstone thesis when I was, you know, getting my master's at Georgetown. You know, I, I went into Georgetown wanting to make a difference in the world of sports, health, and safety. And I, I did my capstone project on what an occupational health and safety management system would look like in the NFL. So what an occupational health and safety management system is, it's a really a, a systematic way of approaching safety issues in the workplace. And they're generally in you know construction, manufacturing, nursing, a lot of occupations that have high incident rates of injury or illness. And, you know, football's got a 100% injury rate, yet there's no really, like, OSHA, you know, coverage, or OSHA's not holding the NFL accountable to make sure that, you know, all their policies and procedures are being, you know, executed. And, you know, not even a couple hours after the Jordan Nelson hit, um, a wide receiver by the name of Chris Conley on the, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, took a hit to the head against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, he, he was back in the next play and he didn't go through the concussion protocol. And, you know, people were, were up in arms about that, you know, a, after that game. But that kind of goes into the whole idea of like, where's the accountability? Where's the consistency, you know, um, in, in trying to make the game safer? Um, so if you are interested in, in reading about my my project, I included it in, in the, the show notes for this episode as well. So definitely go over to the website and, and check that out. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I think football, you can only control so much. And I think it goes along the lines of like the inherent risk of the game. And, you know, you know what? Shit happens. Shit happens in football. Shit happens in life. And, you know, sometimes... You know, you obviously can't control it, but you can always control how you respond, and I say that a lot on the podcast. But I really think that having athletic trainers in the booth, they, they should have picked up on that that Conley hit. And, you know, maybe having a referee, like I mentioned before, you know, having a referee in the booth kind of reviewing these questionable hits, you know, kind of takes the responsibility out of the guys who are going off an of instinct on the field and kind of giving referees the opportunity to look at a slow-mo version of it to really break down you know, the essence of each hit and to really, you know, play by the rules. One of the last few comments I received on the post was uh, from my friend's dad. He was actually the president of our football club when we were in high school. Um, and, and he was, he brought up a discussion about the crown of the helmet. What exactly is the crown of the helmet? And by definition, the crown of the helmet is the very top of your head. So if you're going to balance a basket on top of your head, you'd be balancing it on the crown of your head. Um, and to be honest, I don't really see that hit ever happen in football, uh, especially because that's like a suicide mission waiting to happen because you're just exposing yourself to a spinal cord injury or a brain injury. But at the same time, it does apply to running backs. And I think that was 
when they talk about the crown of the helmet, I think they're more referring to a running back um, using the top of his head when they usually go into like a defense mode trying to just get a few extra yards and they have guys coming in from all angles. They kind of lower their heads down and, and, and they can spear defenders. And I think that that's where it, it comes into play. But going back to the definition of unnecessary roughness, it doesn't have to be you know just the top of your head. It could be any really part of your face mask. And just to wrap this episode up, I want to finish with two comments made by one of my former teammates, Kevin Carsage. He was a, a captain my junior year, and he now coaches football at our, our high school. And what he was saying was that, you know, when, when kids, when they see kids on their team, you know, whether it's reviewing film or maybe during practice or the game, when they see them making dangerous hits where they're lowering their head and, and putting themselves, you know, at risk for, you know, serious injury, they point out, to the kids that you know they point out they point those situations out and they also educate them at the same time to make sure that they don't do that again and and the the other comment that he made was that referees you know during the game he sees them call helmet to helmet hits frequently but in terms of hits like the one on jory nelson you know whereas technically i believe obviously that it's unnecessary roughness um that he doesn't really see referees calling that so that could be part of the, the trickle-down effect, or that could just be, you know, the fact that referees aren't really enforcing the rules correctly. You know, it could really go either way, and that's the point of this discussion here. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, like in baseball, an umpire, they're in control of the strike zone for that day, right? Like whether they're going to call a ball, you know, three inches outside the plate, or whether you have to be right on the plate to call the strike. You know, it, they're, they're in charge that day. And I feel like referees in football have the same responsibility. They're in control of how, you know, how out of hand or how intense or how risky, you know, the the hits are going to be. And, you know, it, you know, pitchers, just like pitchers, try to push the limit on how far off the plate they can get the ball. You know, you know, players, football players are going to do the same exact thing. You know, they're going to they're going to take whatever they can get from from the referees on that on that particular day. Overall, I just want to kind of thank my friends who took part in, in the discussion to kind of make this episode possible. And I hope to see hits like the Hall Nelson hit um, draw penalties in the future. And I truly believe that this is in the best interest of both the players and the game.